What is going on team? Welcome back to the show. Today, we are diving into how to change your body fat set point. So I want you to start this off by thinking about that person you know that always seems to be effortlessly lean, <laughs> which, what the hell, right? Why is it that you have to diet for months to see even a blurry outline of abs? Meanwhile, they're lean year round without even paying attention to their nutrition. So if it's comforting, you're not the only person experiencing this. For years, there's been debate over the body fat set point theory, which is this idea that you have a genetic blueprint that fights to keep you from deviating too far from your body fat set point. Now, as relatable as this may sound, the truth is you can change where your body fat settles, and today's episode is here to teach you how. So first, we need to dive a little bit deeper into body fat set point theory. Um, and I really want to explain this by telling a story that's probably all too familiar to you. So let's say it's January 1st and you're determined that this is the year you're going to have abs this summer. Now, you currently weigh 155 pounds and estimate you'll look great and feel great at 140 pounds. So for the next four months, you absolutely crush it. You only eat chicken, tilapia, broccoli, and spinach. You hit the gym five times per week and you run two miles every damn day. Now it's April, you're 143 pounds and you look great, but your hunger has been through the roof lately. Motivation to train has dropped a lot. And now that you think of it, your steps are down too. It's almost like your body is fighting back against you, so to speak. Your food cravings start to get the best of you. Um, you find yourself caving into the tasty trees around your house more frequently. And it seems to be a lot easier for your friends to convince you to join them for pizza than it was just a few months ago. Training so much seems unsustainable. Really lately making it to the gym three times a week is a good week for you. Now by this time it's August. You decide to step on the, to step on the scale for the first time in a while and you see 165 pounds, damn. Time to rein it in. So over the next few months, you're a bit more mindful about your diet. It also helps that you're not ravenously hungry anymore. Plus, you've been feeling more motivated to train. You even notice the step count on your Apple Watch has gone up. Now, by this time, it's once again January 1st. You hop on the scale and see 155 pounds. So basically exactly where you started last year. Now, if you're anything like most of us, the story is all too relatable. Despite ebbs and flows, your body fat and weight probably tends to stabilize around a certain point. And this is really the premise behind the body fat set point theory. When you deviate too far from your set point, different mechanisms in your brain and body upregulate or downregulate. So think hunger, motivation to train, non-exercise activity to return your body to where it's comfortable. Really, you can almost think of it like your body's thermostat, which is set at 70 degrees. When the temperature drops below 70, the heat kicks on. Above 70, here comes the AC. So the question you're probably wondering is, is body fat set point real? And really this takes us into the conversation of body fat set point versus body fat settling point. Now the idea of set points of, or excuse me, of a set point and inevitably returning to your predetermined genetic set point is pretty damn depressing. I get it. But fortunately, it seems that it's more like a settling point than a set point. So settling point theory follows the idea that the range your body fat tends to settle in is not just due to your genetic blueprint, but also your environment and activity and diet patterns. So while some of where your body fat tends to settle 
is seemingly out of your control, a large portion of it can be controlled. This theory is much more widely accepted and based on what we see constantly with online clients, much more accurate. So you're probably wondering, if I currently have a high settling point, how do I change that? So let's dive into the factors that determine your settling point and really crack your settling point code. Now, when talking of the components that make up your settling point, we need to split this into three different categories of factors. We have physiological factors that impact your settling point, psychological factors that impact your settling point, and external or environmental factors that impact your settling point. So to start things off with physiological factors, set point determinant number one is your metabolism. So your metabolism in simplest terms is the sum of all your bodily processes that burn calories. So basically this is gonna have four components. We have one, basal metabolic rate or BMR. Two, non-exercise activity thermogenesis or NEAT, thermic effect of food or TEF, and the thermic effect of exercise or TEE. Now BMR or basal metabolic rate is generally higher the more you weigh, so really not an issue for your settling point. Thermic effect of activity is really the smallest portion of your metabolism. So while it does help to exercise more, realize that you won't be able to out-exercise your settling point. Thermic effect of food does impact your settling point a decent amount. So of course, eating more does increase the thermic effect of food, but the thermic effect of food varies depending on the macros you're eating. So protein burns about 20 to 30% of the actual calories you take in during the digestion process. Carbs burn about five to 15%. Fats burn about zero to 5%. So the macro composition of your meals does impact your settling point a decent amount. And it, really one of the biggest shifts we make in many new online clients nutrition right out of the gate. So many people hop on board that are under eating protein. Now, not even from a muscle building perspective, which again, like one of the most, uh, and that's an important factor as well, because one of the most powerful things you can do to shift your body fat settling point is going to be to build muscle. But similarly from, similarly from a fat loss perspective, eating more protein equals more calories burned and it keeps you more satiated. So it's an easy way to reduce the amount of body fat on your frame. And then finally we have NEAT or non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So this is really where we see the most difference in metabolisms between the lean and the obese. Really, um, James Krieger has broken down some very interesting studies on this that show that due to calories burned via NEAT or calories expended via NEAT can actually vary up to 2000 calories per day between lean and obese individuals. So really, in a nutshell, NEAT can make a massive difference in your metabolism. And it's also a huge part of why we see such a difference in people settling points. Now, a large part of how many calories you burn through NEAT is genetic. Some people naturally fidget and pace more, but we can somewhat make up for this by setting daily movement goals, which is exactly why we set a step goal for all of our online clients focused on fat loss. Now, set point determinant number two is going to be adaptive versus rigid metabolisms. Now, metabolism varies a lot in how it responds to overeating or undereating, especially when it comes to NEAT. Now, from my experiences as a nutrition coach, most clients' metabolisms fall into one of two categories. First, we have adaptive metabolisms. 
So for those pe for these people, when you eat more, your body automatically increases need to compensate. So think here, basically you're doing more of these subconscious things like fidgeting, blinking, pacing, etc. Their body adapts to higher calorie intake by increasing calories burned through movement. So weight stays the same even with calorie increases. People like this can typically maintain at a relatively high calorie intake, but the reduction in need when they decrease also means that they have to drop calories lower than expected to lose fat. On the other hand, we have rigid metabolisms. So these people will see very little or no increase in NEAT as a response to overeating. Thus, fat gain is a bit easier. But on the bright side, these people usually don't have to decrease calories as much to lose fat because calories burned through NEAT don't decrease as much as it would for an adaptive metabolism. Now, the interesting thing is I see a lot of people um, saying the opposite of this in the industry. Basically, that many individuals whose metabolisms tend to or who tend to ramp neat way up also have when we feed them more also have an easier time losing fat but i've really found the opposite to be true um yeah i think that on one hand we have people who it's easier to gain weight and it also easier to lose weight and then we have people who tend to kind of stay stuck at like i'm relatively lean but it's hard for me to get super lean but it's also harder for me to gain now to prove this idea a 1999 study fed 16 people 1,000 calories of their, over their maintenance intake per day across the course of eight weeks. Now, weight gain between individuals varied from 0.8 pounds to 9.3 pounds, which is a massive difference in eight weeks. And the change in NEAT, calories burned through NEAT, so again, think things like or fidgeting, pacing, and blinking, calories burned through these processes vary between individuals wildly from negative 98 calories to plus 692 calories. So basically some people actually moved less, burned fewer calories. Some people moved a shit ton more and burned a lot more calories. So in a nutshell, the 16 people in the study had crazy different responses to eating the same calorie surplus. Again, there's a huge variance in how people's energy expenditure via NEAT will respond to overfeeding or underfeeding. We also know that losing or gaining fat impacts your settling point due to something called adaptive thermogenesis. So as you get leaner, your metabolism decreases. Your body is smaller, so your basal metabolic rate decreases. You're eating less food, so the thermic effect of food decreases given macro composition stays the same, i.e. you didn't dramatically increase protein. Um, the thermic effect of activity decreases, decreases because it takes fewer calories to move your smaller body and NEAT generally decreases as you feel lethargic due to lack of calories. Plus, levels of a hormone called leptin also decrease. This leads to an increase in hunger and less energy expenditure. Now, as you eat more and gain more fat, the opposite happens. Metabolism increases and hunger decreases. Now, adaptive thermogenesis is one of the primary reasons that breaking your current set point can be a challenge. All right, and set point number three, is appetite. So obviously the amount of calories you consume regulates your body fat to a degree. Your appetite largely regulates how much food you eat. Now, some of your appetite is genetic. After we eat, the gene MC4R signals that we're full. When we stop eating and feel full, the gene switches off. However, many mutations of the gene have been found. Some of the population tends to be hungrier and some never very hungry due to MC4R mutations. Now, appetite varies by person and does impact your settling point, 
But just like metabolism, a large part of it is under control, which we'll talk about in the environmental factors and food choices section. But people that have a low settling point usually, one, burn a lot of calories through neat. Some of it might be subconscious effort, but some of it is also likely a disposition to fidget and pace blink more. Two, have a smaller appetite. So even when you seem to always see them eating quote-unquote junk food, leaner people tend to auto-regulate higher calorie meals. So for example, they eat five donuts for breakfast, but don't eat again until after dinner. So really, physiologically, your current settling point is largely a product of your appetite, your metabolism, adaptive thermogenesis, and how adaptive or rigid your metabolism is. And one more note on genet or the genetic part of appetite before we move on. This is something that we do see quite a bit. Even I think like the difference in many coaches that I coach um, through online coaching, some individuals, we have to tweak macro composition so much, we'll know like, okay, a little bit higher fat, a little bit lower carbon might actually satiate you more. Whereas typically, and typically I say this is reverse, a little bit higher carb, lower fat. Or on the flip side, like a you are that individual, and really I would say for most people, we'll tweak protein here more than anything else. I think that for the most part, this is where the application of, we have these typical numbers that are thrown out there, like around one gram of protein per pound of body weight being the gold standard. Um, but I think this is the application for like people that are in a building phase actually going higher than that, up to like 1.5 grams per pound of body weight. I can think is where we have a couple clients at right now, simply because if, they eat lower protein than that appetite is so high that they can't stay within the, the desired rate of gain in a building phase so appetite is definitely one of i think the least understood most challenging parts of settling point all right so from there it's time to dive into the psychological factors first we have relationship with food so the reality is some people just seem to take more value and enjoyment from eating food than others do for example, if you think of like you versus your significant other, one of you probably really enjoys food and the other probably doesn't care quite as much about it. Now, also interestingly, you being the one listening to this podcast, you're probably the one that cares less. Now, again, this isn't like anything that's, it's very much like a cultural um, how we were raised. Now, that's not always true, and it's not always true that you as the one listening to this podcast will care less, but I'd say the odds are probably a little bit higher. And I think this is one thing that we as coaches, if you are a coach listening to this, need to understand is just such how different the place that everyone is coming from. I think it's very easy as a coach to say like, yeah, I don't take, <laughs> like food is just fuel, right? And I can fully appreciate that, um, but on the flip side, just because you see things that way, many of your clients are going to literally like how they were raised. It was ingrained in them to like food and all this emotional value and all the experiences that go along with it. So it's very important to respect that um, and take that into consideration rather than like suck it up, food is fuel, quit trying to enjoy it so much. It's easy to, as simple as that sounds, it's really rarely never that easy. Um, but really the relationship with food is such a big part of this. And again, it's likely a product of how we were raised. I would argue it's largely cultural and hereditary. Next, we have the hunger response to stress. So another thing I've noticed a huge variance with online clients in is the hunger response to stress. So some clients are quote unquote stress eaters, whereas others seem to have no appetite at all when stressed. 
Now, I can't explain exactly what creates the difference here. Short term, it makes sense that hunger would be blunted for everyone. The hormone epinephrine is released and our body is pushed into quote unquote fight or flight mode, where consuming calories isn't important to survival. But under longer periods of stress, more of the hormone cortisol is released. Now with cortisol, the hunger hormone ghrelin is released. So it makes sense that everyone should be hungry when stressed for longer periods of time. But anecdotally, I found it it's almost a toss up where a client will experience the loss of hunger or no hunger. Next, we have relationship with hunger. So as a new online client, a big part of teaching you how to be successful in the process of getting lean is often educating you on how to be okay with being hungry sometimes. Many people haven't learned how to quote unquote sit with their hunger and habitually eat as soon as they experience it. So one exercise that I often give to my clients is, hey, like we know that hunger is relatively high you are in the most challenging part of the diet, the depth of the diet, so to speak. And we've been talking about hunger a lot. We've already introduced all these hacks like a big ass salad, you're drinking a lot of sparkling water, you're chewing gum, food volume is on point, protein is high. I want you to literally, next time you're hungry, think about your hunger. What does it feel like? Really try to feel it in your belly. When your brain tells you that you're hungry, just sit with that for a minute and think about it. The interesting thing about this is, a lot of times hunger will disappear um, and you'll realize, oh wow, I was actually just bored. <laughs> I was actually, uh, another interesting side tangent, many people, and I've experienced this with myself all the time, oftentimes it's when you're sitting at work and you're in a somewhat uncomfortable situation or for me it's like, hey, I've been sitting for a long period of time or I'm being faced with sitting for a long period of time and it's almost a way to distract yourself rather than actually like I'm hungry. So just always something important to consider. Next, we have organization. Yes, a lack of organization can absolutely increase your body fat settling point. Think about what you resort to when you're scrambling out the door in the morning or get home late from work exhausted and unprepared. It's usually quick, convenient, and high calorie foods. Your relationship with food and hunger, how well you handle stress, and how organized you are play a massive role in your current body fat settling plan. Now from here, finally, we have external factors. So first of all, food choices. Now this really ties into appetite because what you eat makes a massive difference in how full you feel. Highly processed foods are quite literally engineered to make you want to crave more. These foods in isolation aren't going to increase your settling point, but the fact that they make it so much easier to overeat likely will. And this is again why we give our clients the rule of thumb, hey, it's a good idea to eat 80 to 90% whole foods, 10 to 20% flexible. That 80 to 90% whole foods basically ensures not only you're getting the nutrients that you need for health and optimal performance, but also that you are choosing foods that are gonna be pretty satiating. Now on the flip side, the other 10 to 20% flexible is important because for most people, that's what is needed to actually maintain the style of eating long-term. But again, it makes sense why if we were going too hard on processed foods, it would be much easier to have a higher settling point and more body fat. Next, we have sleep. So a study by UC Berkeley actually found that cravings for highly processed foods were increased after just one night of poor sleep. 
Again, undersleeping is a stress, which increases the release of cortisol and potentially increases hunger, as we talked about with that ghrelin cortisol relationship earlier. Plus, you just have less energy when you don't sleep enough. This means you can't train as hard, so fewer calories burn and less metabolism boosting muscle built, and your NEAT is likely lower through the day. We have social and career pressure. So the sense of pressure from friends, family, our occupation, etc., makes a big difference in what foods we we eat, what we drink, and how lean we feel we need to be. And finally, we have food environment. So the easier food is for us to see or access, the more likely we are to eat it. I like to call this your food environment when discussing it with online clients. And I found it this to be one of the most important factors when it comes to helping online clients change their settling points. So really lots of external stuff we don't think about impacts their settling point. And it actually makes, again, a very large difference. All right, so finally, now that we've talked through all these different factors that impact where your body fat is currently settling, let's dive into how to actually change your body fat settling point. So remember your friend from the beginning, you know, the one that is just effortlessly lean all the time. The truth is you might not be able to get your settling point as low as theirs. Everyone seems to have a certain body fat where they just don't feel good. Libido is lower than it should be, hunger is super high, and energy is low. This point could very well be a bit lower for your friend than you due to the difference we, differences we talked about that are out of your control. That said, most of this is under your control. We've never worked with an online client who wasn't able to create a new settling point where they felt lean, strong, and supremely confident after putting in the necessary work. I know that everyone listening to this is absolutely capable of doing the same thing. And really, here's how. So first of all, we have NEAT. Now we've talked a lot about how much NEAT impacts your settling point. Odds are, if your body fat is higher than you'd like, your NEAT is low. So while trying to consciously fidget more is probably a poor strategy, we can get you more intentional about moving more. And this is why all of our online clients focus on fat loss, set daily movement goals, and you should do the same. Train consistently with a focus on building muscle. Consistent training ties in with the need for consistent NEAT. Dips in calorie burn without a matching decrease in calorie intake can lead to weight gain. So as far as building muscle, say you're 155 pounds with 20 pounds of fat mass and 135 pounds of lean mass. If you gain five pounds of lean muscle, so now you're 160 pounds with 20 pounds of fat mass and 140 pounds of lean mass, your overall body fat percentage still decreases. You look and feel leaner, even though you haven't actually lost a single ounce of fat. This is why when a client is near the quote unquote floor of their body fat settling point, basically that point where they can't lose anymore without fighting extremely hard, we'll switch the nutrition focus to put an emphasis on building muscle without adding excess fat. This works extremely well for both the men and women we coach. Increased lean mass also increases your basal metabolic rate and the thermic effect of activity. So on a side note, if you're someone that's always dieting but never are able to get as lean as you want, you need to go through a dedicated time of focusing on fueling your body for training performance and recovery. Really a time focused on building, the building phase we call it. So if this does sound like you, I'm gonna encourage you to hit the link in the show notes to apply for coaching with our team. I know that the idea of building for many listeners is a scary process, but we'll guide you through every step of the way. And again, I can guarantee if you're that person that's always dieting, 
never actually getting the physique you want, a building phase is the missing piece. So again, hit the link in the show notes to apply for coaching with our team. All right, so from there, we have food selection. Basically, you must prioritize filling foods. Lean protein and fibrous carbs especially have a lot of volume and are very satiating per calorie. So if you make these foods a big focus of your diet, they'll help keep hunger low and make fat loss easier. The most satiating foods, again, lean protein, fiber-dense carbs, and then we have fats. So from there, it's a good idea to try to avoid foods that are high in multiple macronutrients. So for example, you could eat six ounces of ribeye for 493 calories with 36 grams of protein and 39 grams of fat, or you could eat an eight ounce sirloin with 51 grams of protein and nine grams of fat, one large avocado with 10 grams of carbs and 24 grams of fat for the same amount of calories, but much more protein. So basically with that second option, we would get a lot more overall food. Again, we got a bigger steak and we got to add a whole avocado on top of that. A lot more food volume, AKA a lot more literal food size in your stomach. So you'll feel a lot more full. We also got more protein. So another point for feeling more full, but the calories are matched. So generally avoiding foods high in multiple macros will make eating lots of food volume on your diet much easier. I can think of a client right now who we're literally working through um, he's crushing building phase, but now we're pushing him into a fat loss phase. And one of the biggest things we've been working through is, <laughs> all right, dude, you're eating a lot of fatty foods. Nothing at all wrong with fat, but fat is well over 100 grams per day right now. So one of the easiest things we can do to get you losing quickly, and I would argue it'll almost feel effortlessly the first couple months, is just switch these for lower fat options of the same food. So like chicken thigh, okay, let's take that to chicken breast. You have a lot of peanut butter right now. Okay, let's swap that for some PB2. Um, whole fat cheese, we're gonna swap that for skim cheese. Again, all these little swaps, or like you're cooking with olive oil. Okay, we're just gonna use pan spray, like olive oil pan spray instead. All these little swaps can save you so many calories. Um, and really, if that sounds like you, that's one of the easiest things you can do to make fat loss more effortless. So from there, Try to avoid drinking your calories. Liquids will digest much quicker, meaning you're hungry again sooner. So if you're using milk as a protein source, I'd recommend swapping it for cottage cheese or Greek yogurt. Um, eat protein at every meal. You know that protein is the most satiating food and it also has the highest thermic effect. So it makes sense to eat lots of protein and spread it fairly evenly across your day to keep yourself full. The number one focus of all your meals should be including about 25 to 40 grams of protein. Next, find lower calorie versions of oils, dressing, and condiments. Very similar to what we talked about just a moment ago. I'd largely recommend swapping olive oil for a calorie-free cooking spray. Find a lower calorie barbecue sauce or use steak sauce. So basically look for a sugar-free barbecue sauce. Swap high calorie salad dressing for a fat-free option or even a fat-free vinaigrette. Often a few easy swaps here that you won't even notice will give you as a client hundreds of extra calories to work with in a day. From there, try to eliminate cravings and rework your food environment. So changing your body fat settling point isn't about resisting certain foods and cravings, but putting yourself in situations where they're non-existent. This is really a big concept that we talk about with our clients. Most strategies for being for better managing cravings are something like, hey, you should try drinking more water and being less stressed. And while these are good ideas, they're not exactly groundbreaking. 
So to make this applicable, you need to understand that many cravings are caused by habit. For example, as you drive by the bakery, suddenly you have the urge to eat a donut. Or as soon as your kids come home from school, you suddenly have the urge to drink. Um, see, habits are formed in a loop. Basically, we start off with the cue. So the cue signals us that a reward is available. Our brains are constantly on the lookout for rewards. This is followed by a craving. Um, so basically, again, the cue is immediately followed by a craving for the state change that the reward provides. From here, we have the response. So the response is the physical or mental action that occurs after the craving, the actual habit being performed, and finally, we have the reward, which is the state change you are craving. When a reward is satisfying, we associate rewards with a certain cue, which creates a habit loop. Shout out to James Clear for creating the concept of the habit loop. Um, also, side note, if you haven't read the book Atomic Habits, or at least listened to it, highly recommend. I don't think there's a single book I've sent to more clients than that one. So from here, if you break any part of this loop, you'll break a habit. Now with most clients, identifying and, re and removing the cue is the easiest. Of course, with the exception of getting rid of your kids. Um, things like taking different routes to avoid driving by the bakery, putting lower calorie foods at the front of your fridge and pantry, moving the break table at work from your line of sight are all great examples of things you can do to very easily change your cue. Now, this is a very in-depth topic, um, but a couple other tips would be, so for example, there's a time you typically experience cravings Get proactive about it. So for example, you can eat a big ass salad. Basically, eat a high protein and a high fiber meal, which would be very filling but low calorie, approximately 30 to 60 minutes before you typically experience cravings to proactively handle them. So again, my favorite here is some type of big ass salad with a protein source like chicken breast or tuna. Finally, we all have foods we just struggle to eat in moderation. Sometimes these are quote unquote healthy foods. For many, peanut butter is a great example of this. For me, it's actually cheddar rice crisps. Um, but basically the idea here is if it's in your house, it's likely you'll eat it. And we often look at these people who are super lean, almost effortlessly and think, oh man, they have so much willpower. When the reality is they probably are just a little bit better at putting themselves in situations that require less willpower than you are. Now, this is a topic that I could talk about all day on. So instead of turning this into a two hour episode, I'm gonna drop a link to the complete guide to reworking your environment. Um, a blogger wrote about environment design in the show notes. So from there, we have organization. Really meal prep is very helpful here. Being prepped ahead nearly guarantees you'll never quote unquote not have the right food available or run out of time to eat in a way that aligns with your goals. All of our online clients to get the best fat loss results are typically also meal prepping. From there, plan your training sessions ahead of time. If you're not intentional about when you'll train, all of your time will be filled with random things that seem important. You'll have another week where you quote unquote couldn't find time to make it to the gym. This stuff is important, so plan it ahead. And this is why I am personally such a stickler. When a client says, I didn't do blank thing last week, but I'm gonna do it this week. Okay, let's get hyper specific. And <laughs> all my clients listening to this are probably laughing because they know um, like how much of a pain in the ass I am about this. Because the thing is, if we leave it to like, yeah, I'm gonna do one or maybe two sessions this week. I'm gonna try to do that on like Wednesday or maybe Thursday. 
there's so much room for ambivalence there. You're not gonna do shit. <laughs> the thing, we need to get hyper clear. So give me how many specifically you're gonna do. Is it one session or two? Choose one. What specific days? No room for like this day or maybe this day. What specific time on said day are you gonna do that? Cool. Finally, when can I expect you to shoot me some type of confirmation that you completed said thing? If I don't hear from you, I wanna check in. And <laughs> another coaching tip. That's how we get clients to follow through with things like this. That's how we go from like, oh yeah, I didn't have my, hit my macros last week, but I'm gonna for sure do it this week. And like, hey, yeah, good on you, try harder and you'll get it. That, that's how we go from like, try harder, of course, doesn't ever actually work. The, things like this are how we actually go from, okay, this is a good idea, this is something you should do, to here's how we actually get you to follow through with it. Next, eliminate negative social pressure. So there's a couple different scenarios here. One, someone with good intentions doesn't understand why you don't want to eat or drink a specific food or foods or drinks. Here, if it's something you want and you can work it in your calories, go for it. But if it's not something you want or it'll throw off your nutrition significantly, just explain what you're trying to accomplish right now and that you're just not hungry or thirsty. Really, after a sincere conversation, they'll likely understand it's nothing personal or judgmental and likely be very supportive um, again shout out to all my coaches because i know you've probably felt this before like oh yo you're the trainer of course you're eating a salad or whatever of that nature really for most people if you explain like not like i love pizza i would work a piece of pizza in my macros right now if i wanted to so honestly it doesn't sound like great to me right now then typically people are like oh okay cool um but on the flip side if someone is intentionally trying to make you feel guilty for not eating something even though you didn't don't want to eat it in the first place, they're likely upset that you're doing something they feel like they should be doing. So basically practicing self-control slash fitnessy health stuff. This makes people insecure. Really don't let other people's insecurities hold you back from being a better version of yourself. In this case, the most useful thing is understanding the person is just projecting on you. You'll start to realize how absurd it is to let someone else make you feel guilty about not eating food you didn't want to eat in the first place. The biggest thing that seems to help clients and myself honestly is examining why you're allowing other people to make you feel guilty about something silly like food. Next we have create positive social pressure. The more you surround yourself with people, the practice of the habits you need to keep a lower body fat set point, the more likely you are to follow suit. Straight up this is why we created, a big part of why we created the Facebook group to put all of our clients in, to create more community and again, more positive social pressure. The more we can stack people, environmental factors, all these different things on the positive side of this, the easier it will be for you as a client to keep your body fat settling point lower. Finally, invest in accountability and guidance. The easiest way to make this process as quick and painless as possible, invest in a coach to one, expertly guide you through the process of changing your body and sustaining that result Two, hold you accountable to consistently performing the behaviors required to change your body fat settling point for good. Really, bringing in a source of constant accountability and guidance is one of the most important things you can change in your external environment. If you're ready to change your body fat settling point for good, again, click the link in the show notes to apply for online coaching with our team. All right, y'all, that is what I have for everyone today. As always, thank you for tuning in.